informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome in to AOA, Agriculture of America. Thanks for joining us here today. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Coming up on our program, we have a lot to dive into. We're going to head back to the cattle industry convention a few weeks ago. I had a conversation with then-president-elect, now officially the president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Mark Isley from Wyoming. Great conversation with him. He had a lot to say. We're going to talk about that coming up here in just a little bit. Also, at the end of the show, we're going to learn more about Green Careers Week with Jasmine Alberon from Seed Your Future. She's going to join us to uh, give us a rundown of that week coming up here at the end of the program. Also, on the way in segment two, we're going to talk weather with John Baranek from DTN. All that and more coming up here on today's AOA. Let's kick things off, though. Take a look at what is moving in the market trade here early in the week. Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart, is with us. And Darren, great to have you back on the show. And, you know, the uh, Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl this past weekend. So, I mean, uh, fans in, in Red Kingdom are happy. At least the markets, for the most part, are not a sea of red here at Celebration this morning. So that's a good thing, right, Darren? Yeah, you know, that, that that's well put, Jesse. I mean, we've, we've got some who are wearing red, particularly Kansas City hard red winter wheat. It seems to be in full celebration mode. They're wearing red this morning. But the key here is the new crop July has not taken out its contract low that it set just last week. So... Yeah, there's it's it actually it was actually it was interesting. A lot of times after the you know the Super Bowl game, uh, we see very quiet activity overnight through the next Monday morning, and that's exactly what we saw this morning. And I'm looking for things to pick up a little bit, but we have to keep in mind, you know, this is also the week that China's on uh, Lunar uh, New Year holiday, so there's not going to be as much commercial activity, at least not at fate, you know, not not initially that what we think. Uh, there's going to be uh, as much commercial activity this week, given China is supposedly going to stay on the sideline as it usually does. Yeah, and that's a great point to bring up here. I think it could maybe take some volatility out of these markets here uh, this week ahead. I know on the outside market side, we got the consumer price, producer price mm -hmm. indexes out here later this week as well. So maybe mm -hmm. that could add something to watch in the outside markets. But to your point about some of that export activity with China being out, I know a lot of South America has some holiday here this week as mm -hmm. well, the carnival holiday. So really, yeah, you talk about the commercials and thinking about CFTC uh, data and more. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be a pretty quiet week uh, on that export front, Darren. Yeah, I do think, as you mentioned, I do think it puts more emphasis on what we see from the non-commercial side. And, I, and there is a lot of room for this group to get active, you know, particularly if commercial traders are going to be on the sidelines and they're not applying breaks. You know, it, it, we, you know, the theory is we could actually see volatility increase if non-commercial traders decide to do something. And is at last Friday's CFTC, you know, the latest weekly update uh, commitments traders, and I look at legacy futures only, we saw we saw the soybean position, the net short futures position in soybeans grow again to another new record large of over 160,800 contracts. Meanwhile, in corn, they added only about 4,500 contracts, putting it at you know, about 229,005, which is still below the previous record of 2035 net short future. So 
there's some room to maneuver in these markets. The other thing that's interesting is so many of the contracts, so much of the corn market itself, from futures contracts and cash indexes, all close below their nearest round number. And what that does is it, you know, based on the round number reliance, it opens the door to the next round number, which in some cases, like in the cash indexes, is the big round number of four dollars. Very, very true. Well, in terms of corn as well, I know on Friday we set another new contract low mm -hmm. in March corn and getting below that 430 mark, that mm -hmm. round number as you alluded to. I know for folks who are, are looking at the markets and thinking about spring planting and more, setting new contract lows in February in corn, not something that I think a lot of folks want to see right now in this corn trade. No, it's a contra-seasonal move. And, and you know, from an analytical point of view, what, what's fascinating about contra-seasonal moves is that it tells us that there is something fundamentally different, something that we don't normally deal with. And in this case, again, if we just go back to the National Corn Index, it was calculated uh, at 408, right around 408 and a half uh, on, on Friday afternoon. And this put the available stocks use, not what everybody talks about ending stocks use. This is what the cash market's telling us about available stocks right now in relation to demand. Put it at 12.8%. And if we look at monthly closes, that's still the largest since like 406 uh, at the end of November 2020. So, I mean, we're getting into some territory here we haven't seen in quite a while. And again, it does come down to simple supply and demand. What it shows is with the cash index and it's putting pressure on the futures market and making it so there's no fear on the non-commercial side to continue to sell these things. I know in terms of South American weather as well, I mean, that's another aspect that is not adding fear to these markets. It sounds like Safrina corn so far is getting planted pretty much on schedule. Mm -hmm. And so you think about what we're watching in Brazil and Argentina right now. Again, uh, just another piece that leans bearish in these grain markets, Darren. It does. And so it'll be very interesting to hear John's uh, latest forecast and, and his, his discussion on on South America. But but yeah, I mean, they're, they're, it just seems like there's almost an endless supply of bearish factors in the markets these days. And, you know, so we saw, as you pointed out, March futures closed a new low 429, low weekly close. And it was down 12, 13 cents for the week. But the problem is basis only appreciated by a quarter cent last week. So, you know, the merchandisers are also sitting back saying, look, we're going to let this market continue to fall. We'll only push it so far uh, as far as the cash market in relation to futures, you know, just enough to continue to get some supplies coming in. But right now, Overall supply and demand situation certainly seems, you know, there's plenty of supply to meet demand. It continues to grow. Merchandisers are comfortable. Funds are selling. Over in the livestock trade, Darren, uh, cattle futures starting off uh, with some decent activity to start the week. I know uh, in terms of packers, they finally had to step up late Friday mm -hmm. in cash country. Uh, so this cattle market's looking fairly healthy right now. Yeah, it is. And it was interesting to see, you know, from what I'm reading, that the cash market basically jumped up to 182. I think it was up like $3 for the week, something like that. So, you know, we did finally see that cash move. As you said, it was late. Uh, and we did already see some futures markets move. We saw the Feb uh, rally. We saw the April uh, live cattle market rally. So, yeah, I mean, we've got some underlying support. The other interesting thing to me, and, you know, I'd be interested in visiting with folks in the cattle industry, what it tells them. Uh, but when we see the, the boxed beef spread, the spread between choice and select, it was less than $9 at Friday, uh, Friday afternoon. To me, this is interesting uh, that we continue to see select gaining ground on choice. 
Uh, and now this is some of the narrowest, this is some of the narrow spread we've seen in years. And so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out as well. Darren, real quick, uh, final thoughts here as we watch the markets this week. What do you want folks to keep in mind? You're going to be shocked by this, but we this is the week of the uh, of the USDA Outlook Forum. Not a big deal, but what I, the only number I'm really interested in with all this talk about renewable diesel and so on, let's see what they have long-term uh, estimates for crush demand, what they pencil in to their ledgers. That'll be the interesting number coming out of that. Fantastic thoughts. Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart. Always good to talk with you. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next week, Darren. All right. Thank you, Jesse. All right. Coming up next, we're going to take a look at weather in North America and South America with DTN's John Baranek. He joins us next here on AOA Agriculture of America. On February's episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we discuss the relationship between the corn and poultry and egg industries with John Del Monte from NCGA, along with Mary Alice Kane and Jenna Gress from the USA Poultry Egg Export Council, known as USAPEAK. We are a trade association. We represent the U.S. poultry and egg industry who exports, and we represent all sectors. Anyone who's touched by exports and is involved in the industry can be a member of USAPEAK. From corn's perspective, uh, obviously the poultry industry is a uh, you know, as a big customer. So as Mary Alice and Jenna both spoke to, you know, exports are obviously an area that they specialize in. Exports account for 28 cents a bushel to the value of corn. So corn has a very vested interest in what poultry exports are doing. Join us the first Wednesday of every month for the monthly grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. When it comes to serial disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. From grain and livestock market analysis to policy updates affecting agriculture, the latest agricultural weather, ag news headlines, and much more, we have you covered as your trusted voice in agriculture. Get up to the minute information with the American Ag Network on air, online, and on demand. Find us on your favorite social media platforms and follow the American Ag Today podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. We are the American Ag Network. Now. We tend not to think about now. We dream about tomorrow, relive yesterday. But sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. Victory over cancer is in front of us. Right now, cancer research is saving lives. Cancer research funded by the V Foundation is leading to new discoveries and new treatments. And ultimately, one day, victory over cancer. Right now, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love. The V Foundation has the skill, the speed, and the strength to achieve victory over cancer. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory. Learn more at V.org. Don't give up. 
Don't ever give up. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, let's take a look at what is happening with weather here, not only in the U.S. and North America, but in South America. Joining us for a conversation once again this week, DTN meteorologist John Baranek is with us. And John, thanks for joining us. And um, I know, uh, like many folks, we had a a little bit of a late night watching the big game on (laughs) Sunday night, but uh, here we are back at it on a Monday. And, um, you know, it seems like... uh, Pretty decent weather for many folks to uh, celebrate, I guess, if they were happy with the outcome of the big game on Sunday night here across the U.S., John, to start the week, isn't it? Yeah, overall, not bad. I mean, we do have a system that's out down there in the southeast, and um, it actually produced some pretty heavy snow across West Texas into Oklahoma yesterday. Uh, there were some areas there around Lubbock and southwest of uh, of Oklahoma City that saw uh, over eight inches in some spots there. So that was you know, that's significant for those folks down there for sure. Um, mm-hmm. That system here now is, is producing a little bit of band of snow. It's not as strong as it was further Southwest, but from Southern Missouri, and it's going to kind of go North or South of the, the Ohio river here for tonight into tomorrow. So we, we'll see some snow out of that. We've got some heavier rain down in the Southeast uh, that continues to eat away at the drought that's down there. It looks like it's now it's just long-term rainfall deficits that we're trying to get rid of down there is, you know, I don't, I don't think there's really any semblance of the drought left after how wet it's been over the last few weeks. So, um, you know, those folks down there are enjoying some rain. And uh, this week is going to be kind of, it's going to be hard for me. I don't know if it's going to be hard for anybody else, but I think it's going to be hard for me because we got, you know, two competing things going on right now, mm-hmm. Jesse. And we got two jet streams. Um, usually we have those during the winter time, so that's not unusual. What's unusual about it is that they're going to be trying to fight over the U.S. here for the next couple of weeks. And uh, the northern one is, is setting up where it'll bring several little clipper systems through. Uh, looks like the first one on that one starts on Wednesday. And it'll move through the, the northern tier of the country. We might get a, a nice little band of snow from South Dakota into Michigan uh, with that. Um, but, you know, with a clipper, it's usually a, a little thin band. And that starts the clipper train up um, going all the way through next week. At the same time, the southern jet stream is going to try and get a little active as well. And it'll try and produce a little storm system coming out of Mexico and then through the Gulf uh, um, uh, and, and those states there, kind of Friday, Saturday time frame. And, you know, the models aren't really sure exactly how these two jet streams are going to re- interact. They're going to be close, but not close enough to kind of combine um, but so, uh, it, it's, it's really difficult for, for models to, to figure out where's, where's the precip going to be? How much are we going to see? Mm-hmm. Um, how, how are temperatures going to react in the wake of these storms? So there's a lot of question marks, but overall, if you look at it, we're, we're not looking at any super cold Arctic air. Uh, we're not looking at record highs anywhere either. So we're kind of bouncing around normal. Um, and then precipitation, nothing looks super heavy from here on out. You know, if it's just a, l- a bunch of little clippers, uh, they don't produce a whole heck of a lot of moisture anywhere. So sure. I mean, if you look look at it overall, I mean, there's, there's a lot going on, but the impacts are going to be kind of minimal. Well, to your point, John, something uh, just with those two jets fighting and then the, the clipper train getting going, as you, uh, you, you called it, that's something we haven't seen yet really this winter, especially across the north is these, uh, you know, clipper after clipper after clipper happening. So I guess, you know, it's something that, it was bound to happen sooner or later, John. 
Yeah, I mean, that's not really typical during El Nino. Usually we get this nice big ridge and it kind of blocks us from all that kind of business. And maybe Eastern Canada and the Northeast sees stuff like that. And they did kind of a little bit there in, in December and January. But, um, you know, we don't really see that here over where we typically find them uh, coming from the, the Western Canadian prairies through the Midwest. Mm-hmm. We haven't had that yet. You're right. Um, so this is kind of a, a break. And, and eventually, you know, El Nino can't control the weather 100% of the time. So uh, it's finally breaking down and we're getting a little bit, uh, a little bit of something different and something a little bit more um, uh, normal for, I, I guess, for winter. Usually we see this a lot during La Nina years. And maybe if we see La Nina pop back up here again this summer, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that clipper train next winter. Sure. Very, very true. How, how about the West Coast? I, I know that uh, we've seen the, the news headlines and more California really getting hammered by snow and rain here. Uh, earlier in the month, et cetera, et cetera. How are things looking out there? Do you have a, a little update you could share with us in terms of what we're looking at on the West Coast right now? Yeah, they did. They just got pounded, Jesse. I mean, they had all kinds of crazy flooding going on in California. In other parts of the region, it wasn't so bad, but California really took the brunt of it um, last week and the week before. Uh, this week's a lot drier. Uh, we do see another storm system kind of moving up. Uh, to the north, kind of, you know, through Oregon and, and Washington, Idaho areas, um, right around Wednesday and Thursday. That'll turn into one of these clippers here for the rest of us uh, later this week. But then we do see another storm system kind of uh, building up this this weekend, especially next week. It looks like it's going to hit California again. So uh, they'll be dealing with some more flooding issues. I think the good news out of any of this, though, is that you know, a lot of the Western states, uh, which had been really dry several winters in a row. Um, not last winter, they got lucky, but several winters in a row, they've been dealing with widespread drought in a lot of those areas and, and enhanced risk to, to wildfires and, and concerns for that um, are, are down this year. And a lot of the Western snow uh, mountains are, are, are packed with snow, which is good as well. Uh, the Northern Rockies, not so much, and that feeds the Missouri River, and that might be important later on this spring. We'll have to watch that. But um, for the most part, everything is looking is good out there, um, especially for any of those that, that that do farming there west of the Continental Divide. Well, we are talking with DT and meteorologist John Baranek here today on AOA. John, let's move to South America. And, and I know you and I have really been talking the last couple of months, and, and you've had a seemingly compared to some other folks out there, you've had a pretty spot-on forecast for Brazil, Argentina, you know, here uh, for the last few months, so kudos to you on that. Um, and I think in terms of some of the weather scares that have been out there on social media in Brazil and Argentina, it doesn't seem like a lot of those have really come to fruition, and it seems like they're getting timely rains where they need to, and overall things are, are looking pretty good still in South America, aren't they, John? Well, I appreciate that, uh, Jesse. Um, but you know, I mean, it's not like everything's been perfect down there either. I mean, they have had mm-hmm. weather issues, and every single area of South America has had weather issues. I mean, the, the 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 one spot that was looking just fantastic for a long time was Argentina, but then they went through a hot and dry spell of more than two weeks long um, that really took a bite out of their crop conditions and their soil moisture. They finally got some rain back in there last week and actually it was really, really heavy. So, um, uh, especially in their driest sections of the country, it got some really heavy rain, you know, six, eight inches of rain in a week. So that's, that's a lot of, um, pretty decent rain there. Um, so it's helping to stabilize conditions there in Argentina. Um, and, and, you know, some areas that had 
issues. They went away. They, they come back. They, they just keep coming in and out. I mean, there's, there's no real good spot down there right now, but there's no real horrible spot either. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, it's, it's a lot of variability and usually variability means we don't see great numbers. And I think that's why we've seen a lot of, um, uh, you know, production uh, forecasts come down quite a bit, especially in Brazil. Uh, USDA obviously didn't go down as far as some of the, the other forecasters out there, but um, you know, it, it it's backed definitely away from, from the records that they were expecting before the season started. Sure. So it's not like we didn't have you know, issues with production. We, we do, um, but they're not as widespread extreme as, as probably um, a lot of the fears were out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's, we're, we're still harvesting. We're still trying to figure out exactly what's coming out of those fields and everybody that grows soybeans knows how hard that is to do during the middle of the season. So mm-hmm. um, we're still only about halfway through the harvest there in Brazil uh, in terms of soybeans. So there's still a lot, to, still a lot to pull out of the field yet and, and see what actually happened during the season. Definitely. Well, and that's a a good point, a good way to frame it up, John. And obviously still, I mean, we're going to be talking South American weather for this week ahead. Any major features that we need to keep an eye on here this week, John? Well, it does look wetter for a lot of the drier spots <laughs> in the in the in the <laughs> in the um, in the continent. So Argentina's got a, a nice wave of showers moved through today. It moves into southern Brazil, which I mentioned kind of went drier, um, and so they're going to get some better rain here this week. Um, central Brazil, which had been pretty wet, is actually going to be a little bit on the drier side here this week, and then everything fills and flips around um, going into the weekend. So. Um, Overall, if you look at it, if you looked at a seven-day precipitation map, it would look pretty wet across the entire area. Um, maybe not as good in some places that they want it, and maybe a little too much in some others. But but overall, it's a it's a pretty decent week of weather down there. All right, all right. Well, John, appreciate the forecast as always, and uh, you joining us here each and every week on Agriculture of America. Thanks for the time, John. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll catch up with you next week. That sounds good. Thanks for having me on, Jesse. John Baranek, DTN meteorologist, joining us here today on AOA with a look at the weather forecast for the week ahead. All right, coming up next, we're going to head back to the Cattle Industry Convention a few weeks ago in Orlando, Florida. I sat down and had a conversation with then-president-elect and now officially the president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Mark Isley from Wyoming. We're going to take a listen to that conversation. Coming up next, back with more here on AOA on the way right after the break. Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted car to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870 you'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. 
Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted card. You're listening to AOA. Let's take a look at how the markets are performing here as we kick off our week on this Monday. Jesse Allen with you. Let's uh, dive into the grain and oilseed trade. And overall, corn, soybean, soybean meal were higher overnight, hanging on to some uh, decent gains early on Monday. A little more pressure on the wheat side of the ledger, but overall, Kind of a mixed, quiet tone to start. Legacy CFTC uh, report from Friday shows that non-commercial positions across all U.S. grain and oilseed contracts, the second largest short position in history, and 472,000 contracts. Bearish trends remain in all the grains as they are all underneath major moving average levels. Chicago wheat and soybean oil are the commodities closest to reversing their bearish trends. Soybean oil futures made an outside key reversal higher on the weekly continuation chart last week, supported by the recent rally in palm oil that has important world veg oil up 8.8% since January 1st. Now, in the case of corn, we made new contract lows on Friday, closing below 4.30 a bushel as speculators continue to add to their short positions. Now, as far as exports go, we are running ahead of pace on the corn side for U.S. corn exports, but... Things could get pretty quiet this week. China is on their Lunar New Year holiday. South America, much of South America, celebrating the Carnival holiday as well. So that could mean that things are relatively quiet. We'll get a few different uh, reports this week, including new CPI data on Tuesday, jobless claims and retail sales Thursday, and the PPI data, along with housing starts on Friday. That's something to watch on the outside of markets. Over in livestock trade, we got some late cash cattle activity seen on Friday afternoon, but futures largely seem to have that factored in. We have a bit of a mixed tone to start the week in both fats and feeders, while the hog trade is trying to capitalize on good strength from Friday, but only trading slightly higher in early action. That's a check of the markets here on AOA. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. We are the nation's largest integrated healthcare system providing life-changing care to over 9 million veterans. Our hands are busy, competent, skilled, healing, helping, and friendly. A place where diverse teams come together hand-in-hand to provide full patient-centered care. Working in state-of-the-art facilities with influential leaders in healthcare, all with a single goal in mind, to help veterans heal, recover, and get their lives back in a place where everyone plays a part and where your efforts are truly appreciated. A place so innovative and forward-thinking that we're rebuilding hands and where even robots lend a hand. Join hands with us. Learn more at vacareers.va.gov. information america's farmers and ranchers need aoa now back to jesse allen and welcome back to aoa agriculture of america thanks for sticking with us here today well as i mentioned i've been traveling quite a bit having a lot of conversations at various conventions and more the last couple of weeks and i know we have others uh, coming up here on tap soon commodity classic of course at the end of the month 
here in Houston, Texas. Before that, here later this week, I'm going to spend some time at the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville, Kentucky as well. So uh, my travels will continue. But again, with all the traveling and able to really uh, have some great conversations and talk with a lot of folks throughout the industry. And one of the conversations I had that I wanted to share was with the newly elected president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Mark Isley from Wyoming. I talked to Mark during the cattle industry convention back here just a few weeks ago in Orlando and got some of his thoughts on various topics that he is watching and that NCBA is watching here in the early part of 2024. Let's listen to that conversation with Mark Isley, now the president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And joining us now here during the Cattle Industry Convention at NCBA Trade Show, he is the president-elect of NCBA. Mark Isley is with us. Mark, it is good to see you, sir. Thanks for taking the time to join us here at AOA today. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Let's talk about NCBA's 2024 policy priorities. I know uh, you guys have rolled those out here during convention, and uh, among the things you guys are looking for in 2024, let's start with the farm bill, because I know that is something that is on the minds of many, many folks here in agriculture wondering how long is it going to take for us to get a new five-year farm bill done? Talk about your views and where we're at with things, Mark. You know, it's uh, we are optimistic, but we're realists about it, too. Now, the Congress is divided. They can't seem to want to agree on how to do it. There's fractures within their own party uh, that are impediments to that. Leadership kind of seems to be afraid to step up. However, some of the ag committees uh, seem to still be focused. I, I'm, I'm optimistic that they might get a handle on some of those things, and maybe we will actually see something. I know in terms of what's in the farm bill, I know a lot of folks on the grain side, they're talking reference prices and things like that. Sure. But from the cattle side, the livestock side, I know there's some key animal health provisions that we're looking to get reauthorized in the farm bill, et cetera, et cetera. Talk about some of those things you guys want to see in the actual the, text. The livestock mandatory reporting has got to be in there to, to stabilize our markets, to give people an idea where that's going. We have to have those uh, uh, risk protection programs in place. We have to have the disaster assurances in place because everyone has a flood, a fire, a natural disaster that, that can that can hit them. Those are important. Of course, uh, we're also working some uh, on some other things. This uh, National Animal Vaccine and, and Veterinary Countermeasures Bank is huge uh, with uh, foot and mouth disease and any of those things uh, at our shores. We're trying to keep them out. So those are some of the top ones. I mean, the list, list is still long and distinguished, mm -hmm. but th that, we'll hit those three right off the top. Definitely. Well, I think with foot and mouth disease, of course, that makes my mind jump to the Paraguayan beef issue, and I know that's still a, a topic... Uh, that a lot of folks are, are watching and concerned about. I'm sure it's a topic here for folks this week, isn't oh, it? Oh, absolutely. We have repeatedly asked USDA to stop those imports. Please bolster those protections. Let's make sure we're getting some clean trade on this thing, that they're not sending stuff to us. And USDA will literally not return our calls. We don't understand mm. that. They, they seem to be more concerned with protecting their, and I'm being real blunt here, they seem more intent on protecting their diplomatic relationship and doing it with consumers and rather than looking out for the rural folks. The Uruguayan meat and the Brazilian meat, if it clears, that's one thing. 
but let's see that paperwork. Let's see that testing. Are those protocols in place? I, I can't begin to understand why we're not addressing those things. And I have to agree with you on that. I, I've said this multiple times here on the show and in conversations with folks. To me, it just seems like common sense that we need to make sure things are updated. And I, you know, I know there's been the, the pushback, well, you know, all the channels and this and that, and, you know, we've gone through all the hurdles, but a lot of this is outdated stuff, Mark. Well, and it's not only not outdated, but we're on the same page with some of our North American trading partners. Mm-hmm. Mexico and Canada, they're as fearful as we are because they can see those threats. They're tr- proactively trying to do something, they're, but they need America to step in. Mm-hmm. And our USDA is, is and they're, some of them are great people, but they're not stepping up to the plate. And I think it's coming from up above. I know another topic here uh, at Cattle Convention and another big issue has been the attacks on the beef checkoff and a lot of the issues surrounding that. I mean, get us up to speed some of the latest you're hearing in conversations with folks here at the convention about that. You know, we've got to protect the checkoff. Uh, The the people who oppose it, they just, they basically tell lies. They do distortions. Uh, They don't have the facts. I'm not sure they really understand the industry. Uh, it's it's uh, we do the thing about abuse and fraud and all those things the accusations they make. We've been through multiple uh, audits with USDA, the Cattlemen's Beef Board. It's all available to the public. I think there were if odds and ends, small things that happened years ago from the General Accounting Office. It's all been cleared up. It's all been fine. We've passed those audits. We're in great shape. We have to advertise and we have to promote beef in other places besides in our own home states. The big municipalities is a huge market. The Pacific Rim is a huge market. We can sell products overseas that we can't give away here in the states. So some of the Middle East is a great uh, place for our products. The checkoff also helps us with the dietary guidelines. It helps us with the medical profession. They have to be informed. And those are all functions of the things that the beef checkoff does. You know, you, you've got to advertise and you've got to self-promote. And it, we've, we've always had that. A lot of commodity groups have that. And I think there's huge support for it here, despite the naysayers. And who steps up for the industry, the cattle industry, on all these issues like flood and fire and drought relief and price protection, mm-hmm. animal, you know, health and well-being, international trade? And CBA. We're the only ones that stand up and put our money where our mouth is. There are great firewalls between policy and checkoff. Everything is accounted for. So for those who, who doubt that, we'll show you the books. No yeah. problem. All right. All right. Let's let's uh, let's go to some other topics, too. Uh, I know some other priorities, thinking about regulatory issues. We, got, we went through the WOTUS fight. Now we move... You know, ahead looking at other things uh, with the Endangered Species Act. I know that's an issue. Some of those things that are out there, uh, just uh, it feels like a more red tape out it, it, there. It is more red tape, and I've experienced a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And producers are put in an impossible situation that's difficult for them to maneuver. Uh, the waters of the U.S. Is, a, is an example. We've got this great decision from the Supreme Court. Give us clarification. Give the producers something to work with. And EPA and the Corps of Engineers is trying to thread the needle by way of regulation. If they can't get it in legislation, they do it by regulation. Same with the agencies. They forget their mandates, their mission to protect and resource or use a resource in multiple use scenarios. 
and they try to regulate. And then we know it's coming from the top down. But it's, it's, the problem is, I think it's real simple. Producers are willing to meet a target, but the tar target keeps moving. It's an impossible one to find and hit the way you need. So it's tough to plan for it. I know uh, one other policy priority I saw in there as well. It, it's tax season right now. There is a lot of talk surrounding some of the tax law, potential changes or shifts or whatever we have kind of going on right now in Washington, D.C., and stuff around the estate tax, debt tax, et cetera. Uh, what are some of your thoughts there? What is NCBA looking at this year? The, we, that's going to be one of my main battles I fight this year. The tax billing, the tax law, the death tax has got to be addressed in a way that's acceptable to our members. Uh, they foist a lot of that tax load on us uh, to pay for liberal policies and things that we never wanted to pay for. Lots of folks have paid for their place several times over, and in some cases they can't keep them. They end up losing it. You can't, you can't, excuse me, you can't transition to the next generation if you lose the thing to taxes and start out in the red to begin with. And the country wants to be fed. They like being healthy, like a good for, uh, source of food. Got to have some transition. And it's not just us. It's the other industries we support. That We have incentive to buy equipment, get improvements for a ranch. That supports local economies. It supports individual industries, industries that are our sponsors and supporters, mm -hmm. which we are tremendously grateful for. But when you take those incentives away, it's, it's uh, impossible for an industry to move forward. Mark, we've covered a lot here in a short amount of time, but as you're stepping into the role as president, uh, I'm sure excited for what 2024, what lies ahead here as you as you take over as president of NCBA, I'm sure. Absolutely. Looking forward to getting out and meeting people, see what's going on in the world, see how we can help, see what I can learn from them. I'm Definitely. excited. Thank Definitely. you. Mark Isley, NCBA president-elect. Thanks for joining us here at the Catalina Street Convention. Mark, we'll look forward to talking again real soon. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you. Once again, Mark Isley, now the president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, talking with him back at the Cattle Industry Convention in Orlando. Before we get to our uh, break, one news headline I want to share. A U.S. district judge ruled that a portion of the recent Massachusetts law that bans the sale of pork if a pig is held in a confined space is unconstitutional. However, Boston media reports say the judge is allowing that part of the law to be severed and the rest will stay in effect for now. Judge William Young made the ruling following a lawsuit by pork processors and other pig farmers who believed the pork law was unconstitutional. The law, called the Prevention of Farm Animal Cruelty Act, was approved by voters in 2016 and banned the sale of eggs, veal, and pork from animals held in conditions deemed cruel. The portion of the law getting argued was an exemption that allowed the sale of pork from federally inspected slaughterhouses in Massachusetts that don't meet requirements as long as the buyers take possession of the pork while on their premises. So a court ruling that will definitely be watched in the pork industry. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk with Jasmine Alberon from Seed Your Future about Green Careers Week. That's next on AOA. Times of transition, whether from a sad event or a joyful one, can leave us feeling adrift. Social connections are an important part of a healthy life. Being isolated and lonely can be harmful to your health. It can lead to high blood pressure, a greater risk of heart disease, and early onset dementia. So it's important to build and maintain connections to people, not just in your family, but others whose relationships bring meaning to your life. 
trying a new hobby, volunteering, exercising, even using your phone or other device to stay in touch with others. All these can be great ways to keep up your social connections and your physical and mental well-being. Visit connecttoeffect.org to see if you're at risk of social isolation and find ways to get connected. Presented by AARP Foundation with support from United Healthcare. Being blind doesn't always look how others may think. Stargard disease was supposed to define me. Retinitis pigmentosa aimed to overwhelm my family. It tried to cut me down. A blinding eye disease attempted to force me away from doing what I was born to do. But it cannot stop me. I have the tools. I will keep moving forward. Pushing past the limits of this disability. I know where to find support and where I can be seen. Great vision doesn't require great sight. Innovative research, educational resources, supportive community. The Foundation Fighting Blindness is leading the charge in finding treatments and cures for blinding diseases. Make your impact today. Donate now at fightingblindness.org. A public service message from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. On February's episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we discuss the relationship between the corn and poultry and egg industries with John Del Monte from NCGA, along with Mary Alice Kane and Jenna Gress from the USA Poultry Egg Export Council, known as USAPEAK. We are a trade association. We represent the U.S. poultry and egg industry who exports, and we represent all sectors. Anyone who's touched by exports and is involved in the industry can be a member of USAPEAK. From corn's perspective, uh, obviously the poultry industry is a, you know, is a big customer. So as Mary Alice and Jenna both spoke to, you know, exports are obviously an area that they specialize in. Exports account for 28 cents a bushel to the value of corn. So corn has a very vested interest in what poultry exports are doing. Join us the first Wednesday of every month for the monthly grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. 
National FFA Week is February 17th through the 24th, a week set aside for FFA students across the country to share how FFA impacts members every day. I'm National FFA Secretary Grant Norfleet from Missouri. What better way to show your support of FFA than to get involved in FFA Week? Whether it's in person, on the phone, or via social media, be sure to share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week, February 17th through the 24th. Information America's farmers and ranchers need, AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And joining us now on the program, happy to connect with Jasmine Alberon, Executive Director for Seed Your Future. We're talking about connecting students to uh, many vital ag jobs, horticultural jobs, etc. Jasmine, thanks so much for the time and joining us on the program today. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing good. Thank you for having us. Well, I know Green Career Week is coming up March 4th through the 8th, and this is a, in a week and an exciting time to talk about connecting students with some of these vital jobs uh, throughout the ag industry, et cetera, et cetera. So talk a little bit about Seed Your Future first and, and some of the push you guys have during Green Career Week. Let's just start there. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, so Seed Your Future is the movement to promote horticulture and inspire people to pursue careers working with plants. Like it's all about plants. And we envision a U.S. where everyone understands the power of plants and is aware of the promising careers in the art, the science, the technology, and business of horticulture. Um, again, all of those plant jobs, because it's very diverse, and not only the plant careers, but also all of the careers working in technology, in research, in HR, marketing, graphic design. You know, people don't think or realize all of the different careers that are in the industry, which is one of the things that led us to creating Great Career Week to show students that variety and benefits of working in careers in that horticulture, ag, floriculture space, um, forestry, et cetera, right? Anything that's grass, bush, tree, plant, et cetera. There are so many careers that are a part of that. And it's the food that we eat, the landscape we live and play in, the environments that we are in. Um, so it's it's all around us, but people don't necessarily realize what are all the careers connected within the industry. Well, you kind of alluded to it there a little bit, but let's dive a little deeper. I mean, why are horticultural jobs vital to America and American lives? Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the plant science jobs are the business of managing and using what we grow while maintaining the health of our soil, our air, um, our water. It's the well-being of our children, our communities, right? It's the world. We Everybody has to eat, right? Mm -hmm. And we've become a bit disconnected of where our food comes from um, and don't realize the, the careers that it takes to grow the plants, let alone get them from point A to point B, right? Those are, there are so many careers that are adjacent to that industry. Let's talk about some of the various jobs that are out there for students right now, whether it be on the horticultural side or in the ag side. I mean, I know there is a wide array of industry jobs available mm -hmm. for young people. Share some of those uh, jobs that are out there that maybe sometimes students don't necessarily think about. Right. Um, so first, students can go to our website and check out our 140 profiles. 
that do a deep dive into those careers. But just an example, you can have agricultural engineer, there are biochemists, there are drone technicians, soil specialists, um, the people that are creating the next generation of containers, the transportation, moving again the plants from one point to another. There are things within floral design, so if students are creatives, there are careers that are um, touching the sustainability and environmental justice. So really, whatever passion students have, there is likely to be a job here, including those communications, marketing, graphic design, all of those other careers that also are important to highlight and help be have this industry be successful. Well, thinking about uh, Green Career Week, of course, coming up again March 4th through the 8th and all the work that you guys do at Seed Your Future to make sure students are prepared and folks are, are aware of these jobs. How can uh, kids, educators, parents, how, how can we all participate in Green Career Week coming up, Jasmine? It's really easy. Parents, teachers, students, anyone that wants to get connected to a professional through either setting up a field trip or having the professional come into the classroom and talk about their company as an employer, as a business, just have to send us an email, info at seizurefuture.org. We will ask a few questions, you know, where are you located? What's the age range of the students? Um, and then based on that information, we'll get them connected to professional in their local community, right? That's the big thing we want. Um, these students to realize these are local businesses in your backyard, right, that are connected to your community that can be your employer. And something like uh, the floral industry, we have Valentine's Day coming up. They pick up a lot of part-time high school students, college students to help because this is one of the busiest seasons that they have. I um, mean, again, for students just to be aware of, oh, okay, that's something I can take advantage of, Um it's also really important, but connecting for Green Career Week is super easy. Again, shoot us an email and we will get um, something coordinated with you. And let's give it a, a plug one more time for your guys' website, seedyourfuture.org. And, uh, you know, my, I was just looking at the website and I mean, all the resources that you guys have there, you mentioned uh, some of those earlier, but just uh, for everything from looking at career profiles to information with your blog and more, there's uh, there's a lot of information available for folks online, isn't there, Jasmine? There is. Uh, we really pride ourselves on, in being the hub of career exploration with anyone that is interested in working with plants, working outdoors, working in nature, right? So apart from those career profiles, we also list industry scholarships. So for those students that know they want to go into higher education, there's scholarships that can help offset some of the cost. Um, industry internships, right? Getting an idea of what you might want to do and getting to know companies is really good to participate in those. We have a where to study map that shows all of the two and four year plant science degrees across the country and Canada. We have a quiz. Um, you know, most students, while they realize, okay, yes, I love nature. Yes, I love the outdoors. I like plants. But how does that turn into a job for me? Like, right, what would be a career path? Um, so we have a quiz that students can take to help them get a short list of careers based on their specific, specific interests. And then those careers get linked back to that long career profile so they can see like, oh, here's other stuff that I could do as well. Um, so just trying to be, you know, uh, a support for anyone that would want to consider coming into our industry. 
Jasmine, great thoughts. I know folks, again, can learn more information online, seedyourfuture.org, seedyourfuture.org. We've been talking with Jasmine Alberon, Executive Director for Seed Your Future. Jasmine, thanks for joining us here on AOA today. We appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Once again, appreciate the time. Jasmine Alperon there with Seed Your Future. We're out of time. We're up against the clock here on AOA today. Coming up on tomorrow's program, we are going to talk about the latest ag economy barometer with Dr. Jim Mintert from Purdue University. Also, we'll talk year-end meat export numbers with Dan Hallstrom from the U.S. Meat Export Federation. We're out of time. Thanks for listening to AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? Stop. That dog does not want to be petted. <laughs> Just a little heads up before something bad happens. Move your coffee cup away from your computer. Oh, no, 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 no. So you can have more control. Stop. You're texting your boss by mistake. Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes like managing your weight, getting active, stopping smoking, and eating healthier, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. It's easy to learn your risk. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Warning, the cap is loose on that catch-up. Don't wait. You have the power to change the outcome. Visit doihaveprediabetes.org today. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its Prediabetes Awareness Partners.